you want to start? I don't have it in me sure. right now. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> I will start. Um, so we were, we've been talking a lot about like, uh, the role of spirituality in our lives. And I think this podcast is going to be really reflective of like our own journeys and where we are. And a lot has changed for both um, Kelsey and I in the last year and it will continue to change. So I think it's like, we're all in this ride together, listening and learning. And I feel like, you know, just so much of this is about just sharing where we're at and really kind of unpacking this intersection of culture, spirituality, conspiracy, politics, um, humanity, and, um, you know, unpacking it, taking the time to unpack it week after week. So a few, so as some of you might know, um, Guru Jagat recently passed away. She was a, one of the probably most well-known Kundalini teachers outside of Yogi Bhajan who founded or brought the practice to the West. Um, and I think the seventies or sixties and I don't know. it's, it was, it's quite shocking. Um, it, it was very sudden. Uh, she definitely had this very, this, you know, larger than life, um, kind of energy and she's very controversial, which we'll talk about. And also just, you know, the, the unexpected death of a guru and what does that mean for people and what does that mean for that community? And so there's a lot to unpack. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack. Um, obviously it's a tragic loss, you know, first and foremost, yeah. always. Um, and yeah, I think we've, we've been talking a lot about uh, the role like Kundalini and kind of more dogmatic practices like Kundalini for a little while. So a few weeks ago, there was an article, right? By Vice yeah. that came out yeah. that was really, um, you know, basically trashed her and was saying, you know, how many people work for her that felt like they had abusive practices and that she was, you know, very much human in a lot of the criticisms, but they also spotlighted a lot of aspects of Kundalini yoga that seem cult-like and the, which is what we're going to talk about today, kind of the difference between ethical spirituality and more manipulative, manipulative cult-like spiritual practices and how we can navigate the difference. And Kundalini to me is such a prime example of both. Now, this being said, I took a Kundalini class this morning. <laughs> I love Kundalini. I love it. It has been one of the most like incredible practices of my life. I have an incredible um, group of teachers here and I live in New Jersey, um, that I work with and, uh, they're just so wonderful. And when my dad was dying, Kundalini was such an incredible aid and it really connected. Like it, it, it made my meditation practice, uh, 
like otherworldly yeah. to where I can literally just sit down and shut my eyes and without any kind of like rules or, or rituals or anything, I can go so deep into meditation. And so I really have such a respect for the practice. And I definitely felt like that was missing from the vice article. It yeah, just can, felt like, sorry. Can we talk about the article? I, I think you're yes. about to, but I would like to talk about the article before we go really any further. Um, because yes. it's, go ahead and say what you were going to say. I, I definitely have some thoughts on this. Yeah. I mean, yes. I, yeah. I was going to segue into it anyway. So it's perfect. Um, I, I felt like the article was incredibly uh, dismissive and um, I felt that the journalist was extremely arrogant yeah. and really didn't take any time. I, I thought that the victims you know, self-proclaimed victims in the article were represented well. And I think they made a lot of valid points about that, but I also felt like they were so dismissive of the practice and spirituality and they clearly didn't understand Kundalini at all. And actually, which I think we should, we'll talk about in a little bit. I think it furthered this divide that we're seeing. And I don't know that, I think it did as much damage as good that article. So yeah, and I, I think that's really the point that I would like to make too is, you know, this is the tone of the article. I, I think I'll, I'll link it in the show notes um, so people can go and read it if they haven't already or maybe reread it after listening to this. The tone, it, it kind of speaks for itself. It's, it's divisive is the word that I have. Dismissive is the word that you use. And I think that's also a good word to use. It doesn't, have any compassion or leave any space for nuance. And there doesn't seem to be any respect for spirituality, spiritual practices in general. And I think this is a really prime example of why so many people who are on this more spiritual path, who do value, you know, their connectedness and and value their, their faith and their practice, whatever that might be, are so weary and mistrusting of the quote mainstream media because the tone Mm -hmm. has this it comes from this place of intellectual arrogance and Mm -hmm. uh black and white polarity right no space for conversation we've already decided what's right and what's wrong and a lot of us are sort of sitting in this place of um I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't really, I don't really think that you get it um, because there's just so much more to say. And in regards to, uh, oh, something you said was, you know, their criticism of uh, like her humanity. Um, that struck a note with me because we are all human. So why are we so critical? I feel like that's another place that just humanity kind of is getting so much wrong is we're in this, whether, whether you're from coming from this more spiritual place, you know, especially in new age, new age, spiritual communities, I see a lot of like war on our humanity, war on ego, right? War on the mess, going back to the last episode, the mess (laughs) of humanity and trying to transcend and escape all of it and make everything ideal and then on the the other side of 
people who are not necessarily on their spiritual path or don't aren't seeing coming from that new age uh, perspective, there is that, well, if this, this guru, this person is going to claim to be this almighty love and light, wh- whatever the case might be, I'm exaggerating a little bit, then there is no space for their humanity. And it's like, I, I just, that's problematic. Mm, extremely. I think, you know, what's interesting is that it's not either or, it's both and. That's right. That's right. You know, so with somebody like Guru Jagat, um, I found, I've taken her Kundalini classes and it was incredible. I've read her book. Um, but then also in the last few years, I found her to be incredibly egocentric and felt very turned off by her teachings. And then in, as of recently, I felt that she was espouting a lot of really dangerous kind of theories, um, pandemic related, but it's all of the above, you know, it's not either, or it's not the good and the bad and the good don't negate each other. Now they can sometimes, but it's, but both truths exist, you know? And I think that that's like what people really miss out on we we talk a lot about um you know our current state of the world and so much of what I hear is like well you know I can't trust a medical system that committed these heinous acts against people of color why would I trust them to provide me a vaccine you know and that's a whole other conversation I think a whole (laughs) other (laughs) podcast if not many podcasts but it's it's I might not kind be of, ready for the vaccination. Yeah, I, I'm conversation. not ready for that conversation <laughs> at all. Um, I have, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but in that vein of divisiveness yeah. and people really not recognizing that they're adding to the issue of divisiveness when both are true, you know, both things are true. And So I think another aspect of this conversation is about um, kind of identifying red flags for when spirituality kind of goes too far in your life. And the reason I think Kundalini is a good example of this is because it is one of those practices that kind of overtakes every facet of your life. So how you eat, how you sleep, how you dress, even your name, a lot of Kundalini practitioners change their names. So this can be problematic, you know, when something is so, when one kind of belief system is infiltrated into your entire life, there's a lot of room for bypassing. There's a lot of room for abuse. There's a lot of room for kind of delusional thinking. And I'm not saying that this is bad because I know, again, so many people that Kundalini specifically has helped, but I'm also thinking of broader subjects like religion, like belonging to a specific church and, um, or even, you know, joining certain spiritual circles, like it's all encompassing. It's, it's, and so I think, 
anytime we enter into community or we enter into contract with another human in what in any capacity really there's there's gonna be uh how do i want to say this i mean there's always a potential for any of these to come through come through i think it's just yeah uh, like in in certain um contexts more than others does that make sense i think my yeah, no, it totally makes sense. And I think to like better articulate my point is that I think if you see those things or if, if something that you're interested in has that kind of all encompassing factor, like if you hire a coach for, you know, your business, but it's something that also has to do with your, you know, the way you eat, mm-hmm. the way you behave, that's not inherently bad. That's just something that to me says proceed with caution make sure yeah. you don't lose yourself in that person's expectations in that person's identity in that person's kind of um world you know because i think that can get really tricky and then at some point if you need to extradite yourself from that situation or you outgrow it or you want to move away it can be very tricky because there can be a bit of loss of identity yeah you know, who am i without this these set of rules that I've put in place and I went into with the best intentions, but now I realize how kind of, you know, spider-like all the, or like the tentacles, how, you know, how many there Mm -hmm. were and how deep they go into my, all the aspects of my life. So I would just say to really be the way, the same way that, you know, you want to be cautious about when you read the news and you want to have that kind of healthy degree of skepticism, you also want to have it towards spiritual practices, teachers, coaches, religion, anything dogmatic. That's for you to interpret as your own experience. But, you know, again, just being careful. Yeah. Yeah. I had a thought, hang on, I'll come back about, I mean, it's that all or same all or nothing and cultivating the ability in inside ourselves as individuals to play in that gray space, to get out Mm -hmm. of that. What's the word dualistic way of thinking? What's the word I'm trying to think of? Um, It might be that, but developing the skill of being discerning and not following blindly. But then, but then even as I say that, I'm like, Ooh, because that's tricky because sometimes we think that we are not following blindly. We think we're paying attention. And this has happened to me. Like I've gotten myself into some situations where something felt good and then, you know, was working and really serving me. And then I outgrew it and realized in hindsight that I was, maybe not being as discerning as I could have been. And I'm even a little bit hesitant to say it that way because I, I couldn't have been, or I would have been <laughs> right. But like with the lesson being learned <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, I know that yeah. I can be need to be even more discerning than I have been in the past. I, I learned that lesson came to the other side of it. And now I'm like, Oh, I see it differently than I was able to at the time. Here's how I maybe could not have been led down um, you know, a, a path that actually took me to some really dark places that I don't really want to be ever. Yeah. 
And so can I ask you a question? Yeah, of course. Um, so as you're a teacher and a coach and I'm not and have no desire to be. Well, I will say, I want to, I want to correct you. Cause I do not, I, I do not identify as a coach. And honestly, I never have. I used the languaging because I thought it would resonate with people. Okay, fine. You're a, um, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> You've worked in the capacity of, yeah. of, of teaching women and kind of holding their hand and leading them to their own sense of power, you know? Yeah. And, um, so where do you think kind of your responsibility lies in terms of creating healthy boundaries so that you don't kind of get into a more guru like role? Because I think, I think gurus in general are pretty much like, again, with the Yogi Bhajan thing, I was never like attracted to that side of it. I was like, mm-hmm. absolutely not. Red flag, red flag, red flag. And Same. of course it turned out to be right. But how do you as a teacher kind of balance, I don't know, not become that type of personality? Yeah. So it's interesting that you ask this and thank you. Cause I'm, I'm, uh, okay, I'm fine to talk about it. Uh, it's like, um, I think there is, there's a, there's a lot going on in my mind around this. First of all, something that I have really devoted myself to not going in, going so far into quote, the work as a teacher that I'm going to be overcome with that because I've seen that happen at least a handful of times now with people where they start out with really good intentions, start out really making really beautiful impact. And then as, you know, things get bigger and the responsibilities become more and the following becomes broader and people are looking more and more to, you know, the teacher or the leader, the guru, if you will, for security. And I've never wanted that. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's just a fundamental difference between me and, and someone like, and I'm trying to be sensitive here because I don't have anything. I personally do not have anything bad to say about Guru Jagat. But I also want to be sensitive to people who feel that she harmed them. And I want to be sensitive to the people that are in my inner sphere who were very close with her and whose lives she really positively impacted, right? But I will say someone like Guru Jagat, who was clearly very driven to create a large following and make a a massive impact. And of course, there's a part of me, I have that Leo rising, there's a part of me that wants to be adored and seen and and you know, serve in that way. And I have a really big heart and I, um, but I also see, I've seen enough times in myself now that, well, not enough times I saw over the winter that as I was stepping more and more into that, I didn't like who I was becoming. And so I just stepped right out. And so again, I guess I can only, I mean, of course I can only speak from my own experience. I can only share my own lens 
And I also, I think we talked about this a little bit on the phone, you and I just privately the other day, I'm regularly putting myself in, in situations where I'm humbled and that, you know, I, I learned years ago that I have a, I have a big ego. (laughs) I have a really big ego. (laughs) And if I am not consciously putting myself in hard situations that bring me to my knees, I don't like who I am. And so, you know, like right now I'm living in the dirt, (laughs) I'm living in a garden shed (laughs) and I, you know, I, I shuttered a big portion of my business that was really doing pretty well last year and growing because I just didn't like, I didn't like the way that I looked. I didn't like the way that I felt. I didn't like that more and more my clients were depending on me. I didn't like telling them that they needed to pay me a certain amount of money in order to like be in my energy. I didn't like any of that. And since then, you know, I've really kind of spent these last months looking at what do I think fundamentally are the problems? Like, why did I not feel good? And for me, I can identify that I just don't agree with the teachings in a lot of cases. There, there's just, I, no matter how I try to spin it or how I've tried to convince myself on a fundamental, on a foundational level, I see problems. And so again, I, I don't know. I just, I just know that I check myself regularly. I surround myself with people who will be honest with me. Truly. I ask for feedback regularly. Like my, you know, my best friend is not, she's, she's on her spiritual you know journey, but it looks very differently than mine. She doesn't even know who Guru Jaga is. And I'm asking her regularly for, for her to give me feedback. And I do my best to listen, even when it sucks, you know, even when I don't like what I'm being told. And I also mostly stepped out of working in that capacity because of all of this. I mean, all I'm doing now is I mentor a handful of, of clients to help them craft their day to day. I don't even say that it's spiritual because we talk about spirituality because I can speak the language, but mostly what we do is we organize what's going on in their lives or we don't organize it. We just talk about accepting it (laughs) and changing the perspective, you know? Um, Yeah. I hope that answered your question. I, I know that was like a little bit rambly, but I'm still processing a lot of this. I'm still working out how I feel and where I'm at, you know, and, and also, and I shared this with you and I'll share it here. I never wanted to be a spiritual teacher. I didn't start out with that on my mind. I have long had a lot of, a lot of resistance and like, no to new age teachings. And, you know, I, I, I have always had some kind of visceral reactions to white people appropriating Eastern culture and Eastern religion. I just have long struggled with that. And um, so I, as far as, you know, my experience with my spirituality and with Kundalini, now I'm super rambling, but 
more more of my no, spiritual you're not. come out as as we as we do the podcast. But you know, my spiritual journey, I guess it started with Catholicism, but then it was like exploring exploring Christian Christian um, faiths vaguely for a couple of years just because I had a boyfriend who was Baptist and like very conservative and I was like well maybe there's something over here and then quickly was like (laughs) nope gotta go (laughs) that was when I was 18 and then um you know really not much of anything um after my grandma died I'm way off topic um after my grandma died in my late 20s I, I considered going back to the Catholic church which is like, I knew even, but it was just for the rituals. It was just for the familiarity. It was for the grief that was coming through. Um, And then a a few years later, I um, was introduced to Sufism and and Islam. And I actually came, I would say back into my spirituality through Islam. And so um, there were actually a lot of aspects of yoga and, um, new age teachings that I was a little bit repulsed by. And as I started softening, started exploring them and it seemed like that's what people wanted from me. And so that's the direction that I started going with my writing and with my teaching. And Mm -hmm. especially when COVID started and, and that all, that all kind of like, when, when COVID happened, because prior to COVID, I was leading a lot of in-person events. We were doing a lot of just really fun stuff in central Ohio. And my, my coaching at the time was still really business and entrepreneurship focused specifically. Um, right. Right. And then when COVID happened, I was like, okay, so now I'm going to make this all digital. I'm going to figure out how to have a presence on Instagram. I like, I don't, I don't even like t- admitting this now. Cause I'm like, why would I have wanted that in the fucking first place? <laughs> like, I don't want that. Um, but that's, you know, that's kind of where my mind was because I, I thought, okay, this is, this is my ticket. And then most of the people around me were speaking, you know, this languaging. And I was like, well, I, I like, I understand all of what they're saying, but I can't necessarily speak the language because I don't have the experience learning. I've never actually studied some of these teachings. So I want greater context. And it just started to kind of take me down that path over the course of about 10 months until at the beginning of this year, I realized um, that that's not the direction that I want to go in. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think that in so many ways, like you're very much finding yourself again right now. Yeah. And it's, you know, it is a process and, you know, it's interesting. Like I also, so I'm a tarot reader and I never ever felt like I wanted to kind of branch out in that type of business that just felt like something very intimate that I did. And there's nothing wrong with being a spiritual coach or guide in any way, shape or form, but it just wasn't, it isn't for me. I love to read for people, but I have no desire to advertise myself and make a program. I mean, I'm a writer, you know, I'm a film writer and there's a foghorn in the back. So (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, it's like the fire fighters something anyway. Um, 
Yes, I think being authentic in that. Ugh, sound. Hang on. I'll, re- <laughs> I'll repeat myself in a second. So what I'm hearing you saying and what I appreciate in my own experience is that it's this kind of feeling of being authentic and authenticity and kind of trying on a lot of different identities and trying on, on a lot of different ideas. And I don't think, and again, like, I think that's really important because that's how we get closer and closer to what we ultimately feel like represents us in a very wholehearted, authentic way. And a lot of times learning what you don't want is 90% of that journey. Yeah. So I do think that, you know, the quest for authenticity in spirituality and in business is probably a lifelong one, you know? And I think what you were saying about continuing to like, be humble and continue to ask for feedback and continue to kind of really stay open-minded about your journey and yet seemingly also unattached to it is a beautiful thing. And I'm really excited to see kind of like where you land on the other side. Me too. (laughs) Yeah. And then also something else that I thought was really interesting. Oh no. Do you want to say something? Well, I was just going to say that I, I've really softened so much through this process and that's always kind of been my, my end goal, softening and opening and being an even greater integrity. And for instance, you know, I shared that it seemed like there, like the people around me really wanted me to be speaking a certain language. And I felt like I understood like what they, what they were wanting, what they were needing. Um, but because I wasn't speaking this kind of trendy language, they weren't listening. They weren't taking me seriously. And, mm. you know, I'm, I'm specifically speaking of um, some of the pe- my community in Columbus, like they were still going to, you know, other, they were still looking in places that I was like, that's not, you're not going to find what you, what you need there. Like, come over and talk to me. Um, it, but even as I'm saying that, that sounds like, so it, it sounds a little bit arrogant. Um, but that's <laughs> where I was, where I was like, I just like the point with the softening seems really, um, key. I've just softened a lot because I can see, I see things even more multi in a more multifaceted way now than I did prior to exploring the spaces that I've been exploring over the last year and a half. And I'm, that feels really good. I'm really glad that I did that because now I have this even deeper understanding and I'm able to really like look at things from this new perspective of, oh yeah. So I've been over there and I, I see what's good over there. And I also see what I would call bad for me. That means for me, that doesn't mean necessarily for anybody else. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's funny when you were talking about like, Oh, that sounds so egotistical. (laughs) Um, Because when we're talking about like red flags and, you know, essentially you hire someone who is a mentor, teacher, a coach to kind of know better than, you know, you know, and that's the point is to listen to them and to heed their advice and, to like, you know, allow their perspective in. But I do think that that can get 
that is also one of those things that walks a very fine line of, you know, kind of manipulation and cult-like behavior versus uh, heart-centered teaching. So it's like you, I think it's, I mean, I've had some wild, uh, you know, spiritual readings with people that were just so awful, (laughs) but you know, I, I like, did my best to just kind of like swallow my tongue and listen and hear what the person was saying in the moment. Um, and I could kind of discern, you know, wow, this really isn't for me, but I do think that there is value to like listening, um, openly, but again, it's all about just not losing yourself in that because I see so much, so many times, you know, it's like, people get readings from clairvoyance or psychics and then all of a sudden they're like changing their life plans and yes. And that's like, no, you know, you have to put yourself first in any kind of situation. You should never give up your power to anyone. It doesn't matter how much you're paying them. It doesn't matter how much you think they have the answers. They don't, they don't only you have the answers. And I think there's a difference. There's like a real need for, learning how to discern really positive feedback. So when something feels really good in your body, you know, and you feel like, yes, okay, I can see how that, you know, they're right. And that could really help me versus like this kind of, oh my God, I have to do what this person is saying and they know best. And, or if somebody teaches with like fear and shame, that automatically creates a culture of manipulation and an imbalance of power because it just does. That's just the way humans interact with each other. You know, it's like, you you can't, I think if you find someone that's so dominant and so kind of you're afraid of, then that's also a huge red flag. Or if it's somebody like Yogi Bhajan who has this like godlike quality, that to me is also a really big red flag. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that it's finding someone that you feel like is really grounded in their reality. And even if you choose a teacher or a coach that's a little more extreme, kind of just making sure that you stay grounded within that um relationship or program or whatever you're doing, you know, with that person. Yeah. I also feel like it's so important to have those checks and balances. So, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's going to look different for everybody. I I, I think, um, as most things do, but for me, it has also been making sure that I'm surrounding myself, you know, like I just mentioned my best friend, but even in community with working with not just having one, one teacher that I work with for so long, because, and this is because I know myself enough to know that if I work with one, one person, I'm only listening to one person's teachings, then there's a really good chance that I'm going to lose myself. I have that very mutable for most people. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I tend to agree. Um, but I also want to be clear. Okay. So this is really the point that I'm making then, I guess, is knowing yourself to know what your tendencies are. And if you can identify that you have that tendency that you get lost in other people, then creating some systems for yourself so that you're more aware of what's happening Mm -hmm. around that and taking breaks. I also Mm -hmm. don't 
with my clients, I let them go whenever they want to go. And if they want to come back, they can come back. Like, and if they don't cool, you know, they're still in my world. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, and I don't ask them for really long commitments or more and more money. Like, I guess these are some of the things that I'm seeing happening in the, the spiritual realm and with teachers and coaches creating these like crazy expensive, well, by my definition, crazy expensive packages that are like year long programs or longer that then sort of like people are in this, this container and there's not really anywhere to go. And I just don't necessarily know that that is like really the way. Yeah. Well, I think again, it's so individual because it's like, I've benefited from that type of situation for a long time until I didn't, you know, and both are okay. But also I think even more of what you were saying before about like having diverse perspectives, you know, making sure that you're, you know, doing teachings, you're listening to teachings, you're listening to voices that are outside of your, you know, your own teacher, that you're not kind of putting all your eggs in one basket. I just think that is so important. And I also think it's the teacher's responsibility to encourage that. And I think that's kind of what, you know, another, another aspect of this conversation is like, I think it's really important for teachers to recognize if they are kind of taking on that like guru, like persona where they're, they are, they also truly assume that they do know what's best for you. And yeah, quite honestly, they don't. No, they don't. And I think if you're getting into a situation where you as a teacher feel like, well, I know it's best and I have all the answers. Like that's a huge red flag for you as a teacher, you know, Mm -hmm. like not you, Kelsey, but just (laughs) generally. And then, you know, and for me (laughs) and for me and for you, sure. For you, but I, I'm not going to speak for you. Um, but I just, I think that that can, that like is really important for people to step back and have enough humility and have enough kind of sense of their ego in a very healthy way where they can lead and they can be strong and firm in their opinions and they can give strong and firm feedback when necessary. I'm not saying everything needs to be like, you know, um, spiritually bypassing kindness at all times. But I do think that it's really important as a teacher to kind of take responsibility for the type of influence you have on people's lives and recognizing when you may be over influencing them. And when also you assume that you're right about everything. I think that's a big, a big deal. And I also think that again, like with the diversity of perspectives, well, diversity in general, which I think we is another topic. So I'll I'll stop there on this one, but. Yes. To everything that you just said. And that assumes that all teachers go in with good intentions. And so I think it's also important to say that a lot of teachers do, right? A lot of teachers do, and a lot of teachers have positive power and, um, and a really good, really big heart. And I also know that there are a lot of people who don't have that, that get, get into, um, that enter into these roles because they want the power 
And so, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, on a, yeah. on a student from a student aspect being highly discerning. And, and so oh, maybe this is a good, good exploration for us right now, then is like, what are the, the things that you Ashley or me, Kelsey look for in a teacher that kind of confirm that they're coming from the right place. Hmm. I don't necessarily know. I haven't thought about it in a while because I don't have a teacher right now. <laughs> I don't feel like yeah. anyone right this second. So yeah, I'm fine with that. <laughs> um, like what a perfect teacher would be none. <laughs> um, and, and this is, a, so this is, uh, I do want to touch on this. Like, this is also part of why I, I've moved into, this feels sticky coming out of my mouth um, because I've been so trying to pull this apart for myself for so long, but you and I also decided that part of the reason we're doing this podcast is for our own healing. So I'm going to work through it and put it out there. I, I actually stopped teaching. I haven't taught anything in four or five months now. I have my mentorship clients that feels very different for me because I don't teach them anything. I, I, I mean, probably by, you know, association and through the conversations, they're learning things. I know that, but I, my, my, my commitment is not that they're going to have an outcome of, of like, I'm not teaching them spiritual truths or, you know, whatever. And part of that is because I long had this belief that I'm my best teacher. And I, I believe this fully in my core. I'm my, my best teacher. Now we need, we need support and we're wise mm-hmm. to have sounding boards. We're wise to support our, uh, surround ourselves with people who have, again, that word diverse experiences who have different lenses than we do and can show us different aspects of the world around us and of ourselves through our associations with them. And so I guess like, as I'm even asking this question, I'm currently in this place of, I don't have any interest in having a dedicated teacher. That doesn't mean that I won't go here and there to a yoga class or to a whatever. I'm just, I can't even think of an example right now because it's so far removed from my consciousness at the second, but um, it doesn't mean like I'm going back to school next year. Um, I'll have teachers there, but like, you know, there's all kinds of teachers, but I'm just not in a place of wanting. And maybe this is just a result, also a result of me coming out of a rough time with an experience with, with a teacher that I had recently. I'm not in a place of wanting to put my, my self in anyone else's hands in any capacity right now. Mm, I totally resonate with that um, so much. And I think, like I said, I think that at certain times in our life, having that extra support is really valuable. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of times where we can't do it for ourselves. And we really do need, like that guidance is incredibly beneficial. Um, And I'm, I'm not downplaying that whatsoever. Um, And I'm grateful for the teachers that I have had because they've hugely impacted my life. Me too. I've I've also known when it was ready, when I was ready to move on, you know, when it was time to kind of either I wasn't aligning with the, the teachings anymore, or I just felt like 
they were going in a different direction than I was. And this happened a few times to me where I feel like I've seen people change due to their relationship to money and success and power. And I've kind of watched a few of my teachers get that for the first time. And, and it's incredibly seductive and it does change people's motives. And I'm not judging anybody for that, but it does change things. And I think it takes a while for people to have a really grounded relationship to their own success. Um, Just because money is such a deep rooted issue for so many people. And it it has so much, you know, there's so much wrapped up in it. So I think it's just something that's, you know, I don't, A, I don't want a teacher. I don't, if I were to have a teacher again, which I wouldn't. Um, but even in the courses that I take, cause I have a few like online courses that I'm taking that I find to be incredibly nourishing and just really keep me grounded and, um, on track and their self-study, which yeah. I really like, um, because I like to do the work myself. I'm disciplined enough to do it. Uh, and I think I've learned that discipline. So now I also feel like, okay, training wheels are off. I'm totally capable of being my own teacher and I want to be my own teacher, Yeah. Um, and it's not even about be even the word teacher. I'm just like, Oh, can we stop? Um, (laughs) it's just, I just feel like I know myself really well now and I'm really aware of how to continue my path of growth and enhance my life in the ways that feel really good for me. And the courses that I do take the, you know, it's the people who lead them are very, um, they've been successful for a long time. Yep. You know, they have the blue check marks. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, I, I know that sounds stupid, but it also, it's like, I'm just kind of, I, I, I want people who, who have really come to grips with their shit. Yeah. You know, I agree with and, that. And, and again, I also have no interest in having a personal relationship with them at all. Yeah. It's interesting. Thank you, like for I making that, one... thank you for making that distinction because I mean, I'm, you know, behind me is Ramit Sethi's book. Like I, yeah. I'm learning from this person, but he seems to be, you know, I chose his material because he has this very practical, very grounded approach to money. Yeah, exactly. And I think that like, it's funny, one of the courses I take does have a like a weekly coaching call. And it's been like a challenge for me. I mean, I, I, I enjoy it because I really enjoy the perspectives offered. But it's so funny. It's like, I just am like happy to get on there, share for two minutes, get off and move yeah. on with my day. <laughs> like it's not, you know, it's, it's nice to have that. But I also some weeks I don't go because I'm doing something else. Yeah. And that's okay. You know? Um, and I think that again, you know, I'm lucky enough that I have a lot of self-discipline. So I think that I'm now craving that freedom where I think for a lot of people, like they want the structure, they want the discipline. And, and I don't think, and again, I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think you need to not lose yourself in that. And you have to remember that you are your own guru first and foremost, always. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And any support should be supplemental to that. 
and and also you know with intention right so knowing like okay here's the thing here's the area of my life that I would like to improve or the thing about myself that you know I'd, I'd like to tweak or that I maybe struggle with and I'd like to just learn to accept it because I you know whatever and finding the place or the, the teacher <laughs> that uh, you can learn that from and then knowing when it's time to part ways and yes and I just want to say one thing on your on to your point I think the goal should always be that you can ultimately get there on your own I agree with you that. know like I can take these tools and then I can you put them into my life but I am the person that's going to keep that facilitating that for myself yes the goal should always be personal freedom and personal independence that's right and I okay here's here is something that is coming through around that so all through the first couple of years of my business uh, as, a, as a coach, as I was trying to figure out how I was going to kind of bridge away from this like business formal, like more formal coaching into the more like um, more spiritual, but more personal, helping people create stability and groundedness in their lives. All the things that I had to work really hard to learn for myself before I could start my own business. That's really where my, my heart was at the time. And I was working with several different coaches and teachers all through that time who every time I would say, I really don't feel good about creating programs or, you know, the, the way that I'm offering these coaching services, it feels like it's creating dependency and that doesn't feel good mm. to me. That, that has never felt good to me. And so yeah. I started, um, but, but the feedback, well, first of all, I started, uh, creating a, and I never put it out there cause I just lost interest in the whole thing actually. Um, but was creating like a self-coaching program, right. Teaching people how to self-coach. Um, but it's interesting looking back because every person that I, and these were like multiple six figure earning women who had built their coaching businesses, who had, you know, and, and not like online businesses, but had built in person, a little bit more old school communities doing executive coaching, leadership coaching, business coaching, teaching women how to build quote empires, which I want to puke when I say that, because um, I don't like that term. I think it's problematic, but all of them said to me, that won't work. Don't do that. And so as we're talking about this, I do think it's important to say like, there is a, there's a lot of, there's a lot going on in these industries and they are industries that it, that it's actually encouraging dependency. And, mm -hmm. you know, I have, I have a lot of things that I could say around this, around capitalism and consumerism and, you know, the systems that we operate within and why some of these aspects, why some things, why the glitz and the glamour and the shiny objects and the, the coaches who are a little bit more untethered, the, the Instagram coaches who are telling you, you can make X amount of money and this and that, or the spiritual gurus who are this and that, why that's so seductive. But recognizing, and, and this is kind of, again, where I'm currently at, really paying attention to, I'm, I am not and have never been okay capitalizing on people's fears and insecurities and, you know, desire to just have somebody make things easier for them. Like, I'm here to help people be more independent 
be more stable on their own, understand themselves better, relate better to the world around them, whatever that is for them, you know, and, and live in a way that is more authentic. And that word is, it's kind of a cliche at this point, but I, I use it because I think, you know, you and I both know what that means. And so that's one of the reasons I, I guess, to go back to answer, answering your earlier question that I just never, it never, so much of this just never appealed to me that I never really went that far into it. Cause the yeah. whole way I and was like, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, we should have somebody on who is a coach who for this conversation to like to continue it. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, and we're going to continue this conversation also next week with another guest, but yeah, it's so interesting. The, I think when anybody teaches with fear or really capitalizes on people's insecurities, whether you realize it or not, you know, I mean, I can't tell you how many people, like I was looking at a post from the food babe. Have you ever seen her Instagram? She does, she speaks out a lot about like different types of like, you know, additives and chemicals and how the food, you know, system is corrupt and they're, you know, trying to poison you basically. And all things we know. Um, but she did this post that was like talking about the current state of affairs politically and how everyone's being, you know, duped and lied to, and she knows all the answers and whatever this whole other fucking spiel. And then, which was like nauseating enough, but you know, people buy into that. And then at the end of it, it was like, and buy my book. And I was just like, fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. Unfucking follow. Yeah. Like yeah. it just it's so like I can't yeah. tell you how many people I mean are just it's like I expect this shit from the mainstream news. You know, basically or like if you go outside, you're going to die. If you hug your aunt, you're going to kill her. You know, like it's it's so like I but I that is like of course you know, but it's, it's the, the spiritual, like the coaching, the, you know, kind of a supplement slinging, like it's all just as fucking corrupt most of the yeah. time, you know? And I think that's like having this healthy degree of skepticism and really paying attention when somebody is staring the shit out of you and then trying to sell you something in the same breath, run, do not walk, yeah. yes. run in the yes. other fucking direction you know, because it's like, maybe they're not even cognizant of it, but it's fucked up and do not fall for that shit. You know, again, we're going back to that original point of it's both. And, you know, like there's really incredible progress and incredible people that exist within corrupt systems. Like essentially that's what we all are. You know, we all exist within these corrupt systems. And I think we all try to navigate it as best as we can. You know, it's like even pharmaceutical companies, there's like, yes, there's, you know, class action lawyers that work for them that are just like, they basically are doing, you know, disgusting things with their lives, you know, and just, just blood money. And then there's hundreds of thousands of people that go to work for a pharmaceutical company that are just doing their job, that are just regular people. You know, it's the same thing with politicians and politics. And there's, 
you know, yes, do I think a certain type of person wants to go into politics? Yes, but I think there's a million different types of motives to want to do that. And I think just like we dehumanize people and systems based on these kind of overarching, I think I'm going into the territory of like the other podcasts we want to do. So I, I digress because I have so much to say about I think about there's going to be a lot of overlap around this. Yeah, I think there's going to be this. a lot of, fine. I'm going to embrace that overlap then. Um, mm-hmm. But I think my point is that like, it's really important to to just be cognizant of all the different fear-based narratives you know and I'm not talking about avoiding then there's also the bypassing narrative too of everything is fine nothing is real everyone's experiences pretend you know like that's also just evil bullshit on the other side of it too because that's like um that's almost worse to me that's that's almost worse because it's like if you have to negate you know and it's interesting like you talked earlier about this kind of colonial lens over spirituality and how much it's been like culturally appropriated. And it's true. It's like, there's this dismissal of people's experiences and culture and, you know, and how do we get to that place where we can light sage and also honor the fact that it is wrong for me as a white woman to just blatantly wipe, you know, use white sage and not understand the cultural history of it and the colonialism attached to it and how Mm -hmm. fucked up it is for me who would represent a kind of like perpetrator type of culture to be utilizing a sacred spiritual practice from the Native Americans, you know? So I know that that's like a very oversimplified explanation of that so many and so many people actually not even just utilizing those appropriations but profiting right and i mean profiting and then profiting is actually in the definition of the of appropriation for the most part yes and whitewashing them heavily whitewashing them um even talking about you know like eastern medicine has somehow again i'm gonna save that for the for the vaccine. <laughs> I'm just going to stop myself right there and we'll go into just, all that. There's on, too much <laughs> on, on our COVID series or whatever we talk about that. I think the only thing that we haven't touched on that we originally talked about is, you know, gaslighting and Oh, gaslighting. You sent me, <laughs> you sent me you've sent me so oh, many things on man. Instagram, but you sent me one that was like, you know, a basic abuse formula. And I think the first step of that is like love bombing. Right. So like yeah. basically the abuser singing your praises, bringing you in with, with compliments and maybe gifts and, and really like uh, calling you out and making you, you a, a center part of the focus. And, um, and it's interesting you sent when you sent me this, you know, graphic I was like oh I know I know this because I've experienced this <laughs> and um and then I don't remember all of them but gaslighting is in there right and like making it seem like I don't know what do you have to say about gaslighting because I just lost my train of thought on that okay gaslighting I feel like oh my god I'm just trying to gather my thoughts mm-hmm I think the main thing with gaslighting is like 
when you have someone in your life and this can, this is not just true for teachers, but because the context is, you know, what we're, that's what we're talking about today. If somebody is saying to you, your feelings are not valid or your fears are not valid, or I know a lot of people who, you know, even in that article, there people expressing kind of concern about, well, you know, I don't want to do this. I don't feel comfortable with it. And then if somebody is trying to override your instincts, I think that's also really problematic, you know, and it's, again, that fine line of someone pushing you past your comfort zone, but then also it's not their job to assume that they know they have to also be able to walk away. Yeah. You know, even if you don't want to, they, they might be right. You know, like they might actually be right. The thing that they're saying to you might actually help you, but it is really important that you stand your ground and you also go at your own pace. And I think that only you can discern if it's, you need to be pushed or you need to be given some grace, you know? And so I just think that, especially to like, okay, so I'm going to bring it back to that Vice article. One of the videos that they pointed to from Guru Jagat that was particularly problematic. And I don't think this was her intention at all, by the way, I don't think she was intentionally being problematic in this video, but it was a Kundalini teaching about how you should never be with your family after the age of 18 for more than I think 48 hours Mm. or 72 hours. It was like two or three days. So that's a problem for many reasons. Um, Sure. I can't be with my family for more than 72 hours. (laughs) You know, most people can't (laughs) who are adults and who have moved out, you know, Um, sometimes I can't be with people for over an hour, you know, Um, let alone 72 of them, but it is problematic for someone to just kind of blanket statement, put that teaching on the table is this is the the truth and what's right. I think that is a major gaslight for somebody to be claiming fact and for somebody to be claiming like, this is the answer. um, Again, major red flag because there is never one answer to things. And while again, there is good advice in creating boundaries with your family for the holidays and saying like, Hey, maybe I should get a hotel room or maybe I don't have to stay for the whole week. You know? And I think that that there's something very healthy about that, but just kind of making this blanket statement of you're going against the teachings. If you don't, if you, if you stay, you know, you're actually damaging yourself spiritually or I mean, Oh, I just thought of a whole other fucking Louise Hay type of gaslighting, which you better, if you've got something to say, you might want to say it. Cause I think I'm going to go on a whole okay. fucking tangent. I, I do have something to say. And then I'll, and then you okay. can the thing that's coming to my mind with well, two things. The first one is, you know, about this example that you've just given with the blanket statement about, you know, basically you're not allowed to be with your family for longer than 48 to 72 hours or whatever she said, or you're going to damage your, your soul your spirit whatever um yeah and i i don't remember that so i'm i'm doing a terrible job of paraphrasing but 
and this is another conversation, so I'm not going to elaborate or expand too much on it, but what's coming to my mind in that is that that's also based on this Western lens of what family is and how family interacts and, you know, what we've kind of known in this culture for X amount of time. And I'm somebody who comes from like, I'm, I am somebody whose heart has long been broken by this, by the family model that we have in the States. And I come from a, a quote, intact family. I have two, two parents, I had two parents in my home, a mother and a father and I have a sister. And, you know, I'm very lucky by all American standards, but my parents and I, my sister and my parents and I, with me as the um, outlier here, have very different values and very different understandings of what it means to be family, where I tend to look, I come from a more <laughs> communistic uh, lens in, in regard to this. I'm not a communist, but not, not a communist. Um, <laughs> well, you're a Democrat, so automatically you're a communist, and you get the memo. Let's be clear. Um, but like where, um, yeah, my, my family drives me crazy, but I wanted to be able to spend as much time, time as possible with them. So I have worked really hard in my adult life to create that. And as a result of me going in with that, the idea that I was going to, you know, do what I, what I could to shift my relationship with my parents in particular, so that if I, you know, had to live with them or something, not that that's what I was thinking, but like, if I had to go be with them for a while, like if we wanted to take a vacation, if I wanted to spend time with them, I could, and it would be enjoyable. And also sometimes it is flat out fucking hard. Sometimes it is flat out fucking stressful, but that's not damaging to my spirit. That's not damaging to my soul you know, yeah, I need to sometimes take a break. I need to go in the other room or take a drive or go see a friend. But I just, I guess I'm bringing this up because I I also just take a lot of issue with some teachings because they do come from this cultural lens of uh, that is really based on this kind of extreme level of individualism that we have here in the States, particularly, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, in our, our relationships as a result of that, my observation is that our relationships really suffer. We don't relate well in this country. And that's like, that's apparent as far as I'm concerned. And so I just don't, I don't take relationship advice from anybody who doesn't have really great. I have great relationships in my life and I've worked my ass off. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, And I agree with that. Yeah. That's also very, yeah. Very telling of somebody. And it's that's well. not me saying that Guru Jagat does, did not have great relationships. I'm not saying that at all. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. You know, but what I am saying is that again, it, it is up to each of us to discern what is the word. And I shared this with you before part of my, where I'm coming from at this di- current level of discernment that I have is I'm asking myself, what is the world that I actually want to live in? Not, do, not what am I being told is true spiritually, because even if that is true, like, is that the, the world that I want to live in? Well, no, it's not. So I'm willing to walk away from that truth because even if it is true and I'm going to fuck up my karma or I'm going to whatever this or that, then I'm willing, I'm willing to pay that price to go stand over here and do things this other way, because I want to live in a world that looks very different than what these teachings are going to lead to. 
Um, and that's personal. That's my choice. So, yeah. and I, my point is that each, each of us needs to make that personal choice as well. Um, and then the other thing that I was just going to say, and this is not really related to what you just said, but it's related to the whole conversation. One of the ways that, because you asked me how I kind of have been able to stay out of some, you know, more narcissistic ego driven ways of existing in my role as a teacher or a coach, or just in general is I'm very good. And I've been very intentional about always giving myself plenty of space to process what I learn. And so, Mm -hmm. and actually I, I just said, I've always done that. Um, the back half of last year, I really wasn't doing that. I was very deeply immersed in the community that I was, that I was in at the time, very deeply immersed and spending time, I mean, digitally, but spending time with these people almost daily. And I can see a direct correlation between that much immersion, that much time spent in this sort of bubble and how I was feeling and who I was being and, and what I was putting out into the world. Um, and so I think, you know, making sure that we are really cultivating space and allowing ourselves to be alone as much as we are allowing ourselves to be in the presence of the teacher or the community, whatever that looks like, making sure that we are, and not just like in meditation. I mean, that's part of it for a lot of us, but it's actually not a big part of it for me. I don't meditate that much anymore. Um, you know, but I journal and I dance and I, I lay down and daydream a lot and I just process information. I also read a lot. I read a lot. Um, and I read about a lot of different things to help me make sense of, of what's coming in. And, uh, so the, the digestion is a really big part of it also. Yeah. I, I love that. I I didn't even think about that. And I think that that is so important. And, you know, I, yeah, I do. I, I think that's so important. And I think that's so true for like, especially these times and we can kind of wrap up here. I think the point I was going to make about the, like the gaslighting thing, I'd actually like to save it because I think it's a much bigger issue. Okay. Um, so we'll save it for another thing. It's um, more like victim blaming. So we'll, mm. we'll, I think that's, that warrants the whole other conversation, but I think in these, just to wrap up this conversation for now, Um, I think in these times, it's like, we really all need to take so much time to digest, you know, there's so much information coming at us. I think it's so easy to go down so many rabbit holes and so many wormholes and not know who to trust and not know what's real. And so I just, on that note, I really, really, really encourage myself too and and you and everyone just to take that time to digest because it is like we're eating all day and never taking time to digest the food you know and that's it's the same thing with information so um after you listen to this podcast go for a walk (laughs) (laughs) well the, the the last point that I will make on on this or anything today is that that's you know that's in line I've spoken about this quite a lot actually um that's directly in line with our consumerist conditioning we've been we've been 
conditioned to be really good consumers and to think that more is more. And like you just said, information is, is also a part of that. And with social media and technology and the way that we are so, the way that we're all kind of like, we're also overly kind of plugged in. We have to be really even more intentional in sort of watching how that consumerism shows up for us. Because I also think that a lot of us are getting really good at living more simply and minimizing our belongings and not necessarily like shopping so much and not eating. So we're not like quite as gluttonous as a society because, you know, our generation and and beyond, we've like realized that that was kind of problematic in a lot of ways. And, and now, but now we are in many cases transferring that behavior into the way that we consume information and the way that we uh, just to putting into other channels. Do you yeah. agree with that? I do. I did buy like four pieces of clothing yesterday. Good for you. So <laughs> I would love to buy four pieces of clothing right now. Everything, everything, Ashley is so, everything is dirty out here. Like I can't, I'm like, I really want to buy a nice pair of jeans, but I, it's pointless. Um, so I, I'm, I'm good for you. <laughs> you know what though? I, to, to stay on topic, I, um, <laughs> I am so happy that I grew up, I don't know, stay on (laughs) course, um, to, I'm so happy that I grew up, um, with a beeper and having to use a payphone. Yeah, me too. too. I'm so happy that like this level of social, like the social media is, is not actually my norm was not my lifelong conditioning. So I, I just think, again, we're just saying the same thing. It's like, make sure you really are taking time to be really present in your life and enjoying and creating your sense of reality, you know, that's in your immediate sphere is really important. And then also respecting other people's sense of reality that might be different than yours, you know? Mm, I love that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. 